I'm Matt Housebarby. Hi, I'm Jory Monroe. And this is Skill Up. Skill Up is a podcast sponsored by HubSpot Academy that's all about the changing landscape of marketing, sales, and customer service. This season, we're diving in on SEO and how to create a strategy for 2018. From featured snippets to writing content that ranks to voice search, we're going to show you exactly how you can improve your rankings and drive more traffic to your site. And because we don't think you should wait to grow, you can listen to the entire season now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you go to get to your podcasts. Plus, if you want to know when our next season is launching, sign up for email updates by visiting skilluppodcast.com. If you could start any business in the world, seriously, any business, what would it be? In this day and age, it has never been easier to start a business, but it's never been more difficult for that business to succeed. That's where HubSpot Academy can help. HubSpot Academy offers engaging and informative classes that can help you skill up so you can grow your business. Go to HubSpot.com slash skill up to check out trainings, certifications, community discussions, and much, much more. That's HubSpot.com slash skill up and start learning today. We're long past the days of search results pages being a simple list of links. The algorithm is constantly changing and Google is always experimenting with how and what types of content actually get displayed. Just a few months ago, Google began showing zero results for searches like how much is 100 plus 20. The results page was just the answer. And then there was a link to view the typical list of results. The experiment didn't last long. They removed this feature after a week, but it shows how Google's trying to optimize for the intent of the search, rather than the search itself. That could mean video, images, or even just a date, depending on what the person is looking for. Organic link results are getting pushed farther down the page, or they're being replaced altogether by other types of content. And that means you need to change the types of content you create and adjust your optimization practices. In this episode, we'll talk through the diversification of content types in the search results and how to win in a world of shrinking organic real estate. Hi, everyone. As I said previously, I'm Matthew Housebarby, Director of Acquisition here at HubSpot. And I have Jory Monroe in the studio with me. She's an inbound professor for HubSpot Academy and my co-host. Hi, Jory. Hey, Matt. Excited to be here. Me too. Uh, so tell me, how did you become a professor at HubSpot? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually started at HubSpot on the front lines, answering those everyday questions with uh, kind of the calls coming in from support. And what that led to is me realizing that I really loved education and kind of understanding the everyday needs of the user. So I fell in love with the conversion tools and the analytics tools. So I joined Academy as the conversion rate optimization and reporting professor. Uh, so this is, this is a topic that's super interesting to me because I kind of straddled the world of data collection and content design. So I, I hear about SEO kind of hmm. on the on the fringes, um, but I, I'm excited to learn more because it's, it's actually really important for everyone to know these days. So it, this is something you've been doing for a while, right? 
Yeah, a little while. A uh, <laughs> little bit, a little while. Okay. Yeah, so I, I started actually, I've been at HubSpot now for around about three years and initially came into HubSpot to pretty much head up the, the SEO team that we were growing out. And now I run all of our user acquisition, which encompasses the SEO team and amongst a bunch of other different channels. And prior to my time at HubSpot, a lot of my focus was very deeply in SEO. I was running a lot of our big digital campaigns for a big agency back in England at the time. And as as you've probably guessed from my accent by now. Yeah, I would have never now, known you yeah. were from England. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what I was doing there was working with, in all honesty, all kinds of different brands from like tech businesses through to weird and wonderful like manufacturing and aerospace companies. And I have a pretty strong breadth of knowledge of different situations in SEO, certainly faced a whole bunch of problems in SEO (laughs) that have uh, sometimes just felt like they're aging me. But (laughs) at that point, I I think one of the the fun things has been at HubSpot, having access to so much data and getting insight where previously a lot of people won't really have all of the data we have at our disposal, which means we can do really fun stuff. We're testing things in SEO. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's exciting to hear about how many different industries you worked with, right? Because these days, SEO is very much marketing 101. But it's hard to overstate how important search is for a piece of content or an entire campaign. And while I feel pretty confident about creating content and distribution, I still don't really understand quite the mechanics of how search works. Or if I'm honest, it's based on some research I did, you know, gearing up for my role as a professor, but that was when I was first starting out. So, so much has already changed, right? Yes. And SEO, when I first started out, going back a number of years now, was really not a very like fashionable thing as it is nowadays in marketing, where a lot of people want to learn about it. And actually, there's a, it's relatively accessible to some extent to get started because primarily... Um, it, it jumped on the wave of the rise of content marketing and inbound marketing as a whole. But back when I started, it was like the the IT person in the company was the person who managed the SEO. And it was like this really technical thing. And there was mm-hmm. just a lot of spamming that would go on and a lot of relatively crappy stuff. But that said, I think when you look at some of the biggest changes that happen in SEO today, it's been more in terms of the ways that the users are searching that's really changed a lot, as well as obviously Google's algorithms updating a bunch and adding new features in. It does make it very difficult to stay up to date, though. It's Um, it's literally a full-time job (laughs) in some ways. It it literally is. And I think that's one of the the things about SEO that's like the best and worst thing about it. Mm -hmm. There are very high barriers to entry to gain substantial amounts of knowledge around SEO, Mm. when you get past those barriers and you're actually doing and testing stuff yourself, you kind of start to realize that a lot of the conventional best practices don't always apply to every situation. This is like amplified when you think about different industries as well, where whole different things come up that you'd never faced before. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. So like, let's dig into that a little bit more and how complicated this whole SEO world has gotten. So we're going to actually do a quick search. And okay, so let's walk through what we're seeing here. Okay. 
so we're we're searching for, for reference just skiing, right? Yeah. Um, and this is this is a really good example. So let's walk through what we're seeing here. So there's a ton going on. If you just search skiing on mm -hmm. this page, well, let's walk through what we're seeing. Yeah, I think one of the most important things here is that anyone that's listening, mm -hmm. right? Like you're going to be seeing very different results to what me and you are seeing, Jory. Right. right? One of the big things that is immediately noticeable mm -hmm. is the localization of search results. Right. This is one of the biggest changes that happened over probably the past like 10 years. Go back 10 years time and what you would find is actually the results here would not be personalized based mm -hmm. on your location. You would have what we would classically call the 10 blue links of the search results, which would not change depending on any location that you're actually in. Because what Google would rely on to populate these results would always be what we would kind of call explicit search factors. So it would only look at the word skiing to determine results. So I would see the same results as someone like in California. Absolutely. We're, we're in Cambridge, Massachusetts right now. Right. We're probably a bit closer to skiing than they are. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but what the, the main thing that uh, is the big differentiator here is go back a number of years. Google isn't necessarily factoring in the fact that you're in Cambridge, Massachusetts when mm -hmm. you're searching. There's a whole hidden layer to what someone's actually searching for in the search engines that Google sees. And this is what we call like implicit query factors. So a few things become very apparent when you search for something like skiing. First of all, what you're actually saying is show me places to ski in or near the location of uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, if you're searching this on Wi-Fi versus on using cellular data, you could uh, Google could ascertain that you're probably not on the move, so you're probably planning something that maybe has a larger radius in terms of distance as well. Searching this on cellular data may indicate to Google, hey, this person's on the move and they actually want to see something in a shorter distance. There's like all of these things that have been determined, but all you have done as a searcher is write skiing. Skiing. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, this is this becomes really apparent as well, in particular with like searches for restaurants, food, lunches, like the, the thought of someone typing in to Google like 10 years ago, uh, where should I eat is like insane, right. right? Like you would never do that back then. People would just think you don't know how to Google. <laughs> and uh, But the reality is that you can do that now. And this is where we're seeing other platforms come in like voice and other uh, search platforms where queries are becoming more conversational. Yeah, and it, it's interesting too because you know I'm seeing different pieces of the page as well. There's this images area, there's some videos, and then there's even like this box on the side that links me to new searches. So could you walk me through some of these components on this page besides just that localized piece? Yeah, so this is what we would call a blended search engine result page. And this kind of the early stages of this concept came about like several years ago now, but one of the first things I remember entering into the results page was alongside local listings mm -hmm. was images. Images never used to appear in a carousel kind of uh, in, in the results page. And then we started seeing 
what is now known as like the knowledge graph. So if mm-hmm. you search for a brand name, for example, HubSpot, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see on the right-hand side, the knowledge graph, if you, which contains information about like specific entities. And this is largely vetted information that Google have in what is literally known as their knowledge graph about certain entities. They pull a lot of this information from like Wikipedia, Wikidata, and another of our other sources. They used to use Freebase, a company they acquired at one point. But then you also have, right, okay, they're in this result around skiing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Google is also being able to determine that this is a sport and that there are other related sports, skiing being a, some kind of topic that you may want to dig into in more detail or find more information about. Similarly, having local ski areas, there's an image area, like mm-hmm. all of these things. Then you've got people also ask, which we started to see coming up more and more and more. Featured snippets, something will come on later in the season. But one of the the things that is, has been probably the toughest thing from an SEO point of view for people to adapt to is even knowing like how and where in this results page do I actually end up ranking? And that's particularly difficult to know. Yeah, and I know from experience that these days and sort of what we've talked about before is it doesn't always look the same. So what are some of the different forms that this knowledge graph can take? Yeah, so you, I mean, Depending on the type of thing we're searching for, what will appear will vary quite a lot. So a good example of this would be searching for a business or brand, and that will show up very different things. You'll usually have links to the brand's website. If it's a physical location, maybe even like suggested opening hours, contact information, related businesses from the same thing. Search for HubSpot. You're probably also going to see Salesforce, MailChimp, and a few others, right? And it's like, this is Google doing things to try and provide useful next steps for searchers. Then when you look at things like, all right, different entities where they can pull in various data points, for example, books, You search for a specific book, it will be able to pull in and tell you the date of its publish. Who was the publisher? Who's the author? All of these things can take you further down the layers of Google's knowledge graph where you could search for everything by a certain publisher, everything that was published around a certain date, et cetera, et cetera. And what this is, is this huge like semantic graph of information that makes up pretty much the large value proposition of Google as a whole. Right. It's very contextual then. Very much so. Awesome. So let's try this out. Um, So I'm going to type in something healthy. Let's just say spinach, for example. So healthy. So healthy. I I was going to say kale, but let's try some spinach. (laughs) Um, And wow. So it, it even lists things like nutritional facts. So here it says you know, spinach, like one cup is only seven calories and a lot of vitamins. So yes, it's very healthy. Eat yep. up, yum. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but on the flip side, let's take a look and Google Snickers. I love candy. <laughs> so, okay, a whole bag of Snickers is pretty unhealthy. Um, so I guess that's not so surprising. Are you speaking from experience or from what Google's telling you? <laughs> you know, Google is telling me Snickers <laughs> right, are okay. not healthy. You I've never eaten a whole bag on Halloween. <laughs> Who would do that? Um, yeah, so it's it's changed it's changed information um, 
how information is displayed clearly. Yeah, this is actually a really interesting one with uh, with some of the ingredient level stuff in particular. My, my wife actually runs a food blog. And so this is like particularly relevant to me. I remember watching this over the space of uh, the past few years, especially around ingredient-based searches. Mm -hmm. And Google has taken tons of different forms. So you can see like right now, certainly in google.com, we're seeing in the knowledge graph pane, that's the the pane to the right-hand side, all of these different values, nutritional information being shown. Mm -hmm. At one point, they actually showed, and and they may show this for different queries, um, they had a, a table that would show in the main section of the search results. And you could actually have like drop down menus that would mm. show you stuff for fat content for, and you could even like compare like, um, struggling for other healthy things right now. Let's just say <laughs> Snickers and spinach, <laughs> okay. right? Like those two core fundamental ingredients in the, uh, in the food pyramid. So Welcome to my world. (laughs) (laughs) So there's been a lot of ways that Google in particular have tried to rework and change up the way things are displayed. It's ultimately all the same information, Mm -hmm. but they're just representing it differently. I mean, a great example here, when we look at like a search for Snickers, you've got this carousel that is the recent tweets from Snickers. Mm -hmm. Google spent quite a bit of time working directly with Twitter to integrate their tweets. I think, I'm trying to remember when this was, but I'm going to hazard a guess, and people are probably going to tweet at me and tell me I was wrong now. But uh, around about 2014, 2015, they did this, Mm -hmm. right about the time when Google Plus was dying. (laughs) (laughs) So they started adding this stuff in. Again, it's just giving information directly to the user one click sooner, which for a lot of people would argue that's a good thing for them. A lot of people would argue that might not be the good thing for the web in general, but we'll see. So one thing that I've heard you mention a lot actually is like this concept of the carousel. So Mm -hmm. is what controls this carousel? Because in the previous search about skiing, we saw one about images, but in the search engine results for Snickers, I'm seeing it about Twitter. So Mm -hmm. what, what's controlling the search engine to kind of display this carousel? This is the best example of Mm -hmm. Google's natural language processing at play. The reason why Google is the best search engine, certainly in my opinion, in terms of delivering results, let's forget about like market dominance for a moment, Mm -hmm. but the reason why most people will say that Google has the best results is because it's not necessarily that they have more results or a larger index, which they do, but like that's not the point. The point here is that they understand intent behind searches so much better than many other search engines. And the best way of showing this a lot of the time can actually be with like shorter queries in particular. Mm-hmm. A really good example is a query like CRM. Right? Mm-hmm. This is something that I, a query that I know a hell of a lot about, right? <laughs> but someone that's just typing in CRM, it would genuinely baffle me if someone decides I need to buy a CRM and they start by just typing CRM into Google. If there's one thing I've learned in SEO is that nothing ceases to amaze me. Don't make assumptions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, they know what they say Step about one. assuming, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so the thing that would have been very difficult for Google to understand probably say, let's just use 10 years ago, right? Okay. They, they would show just 
the simple results of like template links, and it would probably be like every CRM provider like in a in a row right of their results. Actually, let's think about it. What are you doing if you're typing CRM? The main reason why you're searching that is because actually you want to know the definition or what those acronyms actually stand for. Quick information. What shows when you do that? A very quick featured snippet that's like giving you what the acronyms actually mean in a brief definition, right? So it's like Google can programmatically understand this information in the exact same way that someone typing Snickers, right? They'll they'll go through and they'll have like information about Snickers, but actually you may want to know nutritional information. They understand that that is an, a type of food, uh, if we can call it that. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> so look, I'm not hating on Snickers. <laughs> they could be a potential sponsor for the podcast at one point in time, right? You got some uh, protein in Snickers, okay? Yeah, right. Well, spinach isn't going to sponsor us. So, uh, so the the thing with this is just even being able to determine that Snickers is a chocolate bar is right. uh, is, is pretty interesting in itself. Actually, to bring this back to SEO in particular. One of the things that I hear people say a lot is SEO is changing so much. Google's always changing their algorithm. Google's always changing X. SEO is moving too fast for me to understand. One thing that I actually like to talk about in amongst all of that is I actually disagree a lot of the time. right? So the thing that's changed the most about SEO actually hasn't necessarily been just that Google is changing their algorithms. Actually, the way Google ranks content hasn't changed a whole lot over the past few years. Where they have invested all of their time is understanding intent and being able to serve the right results based on the right query. Natural language processing has been the biggest thing that they have made developments in. But what that's meant is it's enabled searchers, people like me and you, Jerry, so the way that we search has completely evolved and changed more than anything. I talked about previously, it would be very, very strange for someone to just type, where can I eat? Right, right? like right. Th- there's no, I, I don't know anyone other than maybe like my grandmother that would have done that ten years ago. That uh, needs to learn how to use the Google. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly, um, and that that would have been a very strange thing to do. But now, like Google can understand that, then mm-hmm. so you would get crappy results. When you get crappy results, you have a bad experience, and you don't do that again. Now, if you type that now, you get pretty good results. And you instantly get gratification that actually this was the right thing to do. I'm going to continue this kind of pattern. What Google has been doing is systematically changing the search behavior of people. And the way we search has evolved so much so that we went through this stage where it's almost been like a bell curve of like, you would have to get very, very specific in like outlining like for more like more granular results that you want, the more granular your search query would be. And sometimes it would be a bit of jumbled up sentence, just adding Mm -hmm. keywords in to get to it. You'd be like, restaurants, Boston, Mexican. Open. (laughs) Open, right, yeah. And you're hoping that that kind of like shows up uh, for good results. And then what you realized is you could just type really short results like where to eat. And it Mm -hmm. shortened down the query path. But what then as we're seeing more of now is that people actually trust speaking more conversationally. Right. And that means that queries are much longer, but the 
volume of queries and the diversification of queries is much more populous. So if you had a look at the total number of searches that led to a result in going to the Snickers homepage, for example, mm -hmm. the long tail, which is the longer queries, there'd be more of them. And that creates a real challenge from an SEO point of view because you're not just like ranking for a keyword anymore. It's like you're ranking for like thousands of different phrases. And this is kind of something that we'll probably come on to uh, later on, but where it started to shift a lot of people focused on SEO into more how do we focus on ranking for broad topics that encompass all of the range of these more conversational queries. That's a really good segue into kind of my next question where let's like start talking about the flip side of this, right? Like how do you actually make content for this world of complicated results where you're trying to, you know, rank for multiple queries? Images and videos might seem like the most logical step if I was trying to start optimizing content beyond text, but where do you really start with this new world of SEO? Building robots through <laughs> AI and okay. having them do it all for you. So not just links, but... No. Uh, if you can't do that, uh, then the, the way that I would tend to start is... So let me caveat this by just taking one step back. One of the biggest mistakes that I often see people do that's become even more problematic in this new search landscape is they'll try to, let, let's just say someone wanted to rank for the word Snickers, right? Like, let's take that example. And they say, okay, what we want to do is to try and outrank the current uh, pages on the site. We want to do something very different. We want our page content to stand out and we're going to do it in a completely different format. And we think we're going to get that ranking. Now, when you think about it from a content marketing point of view, you're always being told, do something different, do something better, do something that's going to stand out. But you know what? Like sometimes, and a lot of the time in SEO, that is the worst thing you can do. Hmm. Google is determining the intent behind a keyword. And it's very specifically showing the results that it believes are the best types of content to show to a user. What you're saying by saying we're going to do something different is Google's wrong, and actually we're right, and <laughs> you should just listen. And I can tell you from experience, Google doesn't listen. Uh, so what, Google owns Google. <laughs> Google does own Google. That is fact. Um, so what you want to try and do here is do something better but maintain some boundaries of what, you, you want to serve up what Google wants to serve up. The first thing I often do is like run a quick query for the kind of topics that we're going to try and rank for and see what formats are showing. Is there video content showing already? Is there a image carousel? Is there a featured snippet? Is there all of these different types of content? Look through the first page of Google. You will always see common threads. It's very rare other than for like really abstract search queries, that you don't see uniformity in the results. Like even when I'm looking through like a branded query for mm -hmm. uh, Snickers, you're seeing a lot of product page content within there. And right. that, that's actually a bad example of a, a query, but it still conforms to this. You should always use what is existing within the search results page to inform both the format, the direction, and ultimately the problem that the user is looking to, to solve. There is never a moment 
when you ever, as a person searching in Google, where you search when you don't have a problem that you need solved. Even if you are just typing the word Snickers, you are looking for something. Otherwise, you're running on autopilot and you actually are an AI-driven bot. So that's that's like, you've got big old problems right now, right? So you, you want to start off with similar content and then over time, if you want to diversify, that's kind of after you've started ranking, that's when you would start to lean into those other formats or should you stay away from those different formats altogether? Uh, I think this is like, it's kind of like a horses for courses, right? So depending on what you're trying to rank I've never for, heard that phrase yeah, before. Yeah, I thought I'd throw in like I'm British just, terms. Okay. Yeah, this is like, uh, <laughs> I, this happens to me a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I speak in riddles. So, um, horses for courses, explain that one. <laughs> so basically, so it, it means that certain horses will race better on different types of race courses. So some will be better on grass versus sand, et cetera. So Mm. for every course, there's the right horse. In every search result query, there's a corresponding better piece of content. Gotcha. So we've got some idioms. We've got some SEO. We've got the idioms. (laughs) Cool. Um, And in that respect, like kind of when you're thinking about who is my target audience for Mm -hmm. this piece of content, you would say, okay, on a basic level, how do my audience prefer to consume content? And like, I, I, I would go back like five years and the answer to everyone's content question was, let's build an infographic. Right. <laughs> and what we soon realized is that barely anybody likes infographics because everyone's using mobile devices and they don't scale very well. Some people like them, but you know what? It's not the right thing for everyone. Like we've all been there uh, yeah. and we, we've been down that route. It's exactly the same with Google, right? If... You're trying to rank for uh, various topics, and there's there's just no tangible way that a piece of video would mm-hmm. ever come into this like search results page. You're not going to rank in the search results page, right? Could you include video in your content that's more broader and is not like the thing that you're trying to rank on itself? Yeah, by all means, you're adding like another layer that makes it more shareable, would be enjoyable for the user experience, and may help you earn backlinks, which definitely helps you rank. Mm-hmm. But honestly, this, to use another idiom, like you really don't need to like reinvent the wheel here. And See, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We'll, we'll start with idiom 101. We'll get more <laughs> okay. advanced as we go exactly. through. <laughs> You're going to have to strap yourself in for some of these ones. Yeah. But yeah, that's like really Learn what SEO I and British. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So say there's a video showing up in the results for a keyword. What's your advice for getting a video to actually rank? Like, do you know any Mm. SEO best practices? I'm assuming you do. Yeah. I think so for things like video content, um, the first thing I would think about within that respect is where are people going to most likely find this video? Okay. Now, taking a step back of another major Google property is YouTube, the second largest search engine in the world. And do I care more about ranking that content in Google's primary like search engine, or do I care more about that ranking in YouTube? There's a lot of overlap there. In all honesty, the video side of things, they they follow a lot of the same best practice as normal content. There's just like a few other things that you want to have in. So Things like having a video sitemap is one thing that you can do, which helps video content be discovered. On top of that, 
earning links back to the video content. A lot of the time, it's easier to rank a YouTube URL of a video mm -hmm. versus a video that's embedded on a page just okay. because... Google owns Google, Google owns <laughs> right. YouTube, right? And uh, so that's that's another thing. Adding transcripts, so mm -hmm. having like video audio transcribes, so you've got some relevant content within there. I think we're going to move to a world where Google is able to determine this programmatically. They've, already, they've been working on this stuff in the exact same way as with images where they can determine using visual imaging uh, processing like what an image actually is by mm -hmm. looking over it, which is going to be an, a huge benefit for SEO, especially on e-commerce moving forward. We're a little, little way away from that. And I think the same is going to happen with video. And you would probably treat video in the future, this is not right now, in the same way that you think about text content, like is this a long form video? Is this a shorter video? Do we need more? Do we need to be talking about more relevant terms? Kind of how you'd be talking about stuff within uh, keywords and mentioning synonyms within content. Right now, though, we're at like 10 years ago, Google for normal text content. And it's pretty rudimentary in that respect. Mm -hmm. Trying to just align the title of the video, making sure it's easy to be surfaced, getting backlinks to it, all of your 101 stuff that you would do with text content generally applies with video. So I know that there's some info that you can give Google to help rank it. Um, so what's some of that info for video or images? So what's that checklist that I would need to make sure that at least I'm following some best practices for either images or video that I would want to make sure that I had no matter what? Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start with video. The first thing is going to be number one, making sure that you're aligning the title of your video to something around the core topic that you're trying to rank for. Mm -hmm. Having a short description along the video, if possible, having a video sitemap or just including a link to the video within your existing sitemap. Okay. I would also always try to transcribe the video. Um, there's a bunch of good services, actually. I think like rev.com and stuff like that, where you can get super cheap transcriptions for video content. Certainly way more economical than do it yourself. <laughs> and you can add that content into, into the page where the video is hosted. Mm -hmm. The other thing as well is like, I tend to try when search is like the key primary objective in terms of like ranking video content, try not to have like custom video players and things like that sticking to more industry standard like Vimeo, Wistia and YouTube kind of video players there. So when you're adding kind of this transcription service on top of your video, is it possible that like, so Google, does it actually read the text on these videos or is it kind of separate? So How it would be work? separate. You would usually add this either in like, if you're trying to get it ranking on YouTube, you would add it in like the full description section. Or if you're adding, embedding this onto a web page on your site, you'd add it like below or above. Just basically so that you're hitting both of these where you've got all of this relevant semantic information that Google can use to ascertain whether the, the content is actually what it's supposed to be. That makes sense. So what about images on the other hand? I know there's some best practices there. Yeah, images are... Um, in all honesty, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass to try and rank. Um, we we have uh, a few things at your disposal to do, but let me just like stack rank these out. We've got some best 
practices. So you have an alt attribute for every image, which is a piece of text that you can uh, assign to an image where, because Google can't read images yet, mm -hmm. or at least it's not using that technology to, to rank them, it tells Google like what this is about. So have a very simple, short description, probably including the topic, keywords kind of things within that. What you want to make sure as well is that the image isn't like crazy file size, mm -hmm. if possible. Okay. Google's always optimizing for speed in a lot of respects, especially with images, because they're the things that often really ruin search experiences. Alongside that is backlinks, which okay. is like another really huge piece, is earning as many links into the images as possible, especially if they've got like relevant content around it. So they're like the main things I would really say. The other thing you could possibly say as well that people used to spend a lot more time on is like actually naming the file name of images after the like topic or keywords that you're trying to rank. So to put this horse on a different course, <laughs> um, <laughs> how do featured snippets fit into this trend of shrinking organic real estate? So featured snippets, right? This is This is like something that is part of a much, much bigger trend within Google. And featured snippets themselves have kind of been exploding over the past few years. They, I think one study, I think it was from Moz, they they showed kind of around 2015, there was around about 5% of queries showing featured snippets within the search results page. Then it went up to like 16%, other studies showing them at like 30%. Certainly from our own internal studies, they are like everywhere. But I do think this is part of a much, much bigger trend. Okay, so this is where things are getting really interesting. So we actually have a whole episode out about this. So I won't have us get too much in the weeds with featured snippets. Um, mm. But this is a great time for a quick break. We'll be back with more after a message from HubSpot Academy. When I first started my career, I thought businesses could succeed by just having a presence online. All you have to do is post on social media, update your website, and schedule blog posts somewhat regularly. Easy, right? Wrong. Because publishing content without an SEO strategy can be a huge waste of time. That's why HubSpot Academy created an SEO training course taught by HubSpot's SEO expert, Matt Howells Barbie, the host of this podcast. This course is great for beginners who are looking to create a smart SEO strategy, build links to their website, start blogging, and much, much more. Head over to hubspot.com slash skillupseo and start learning today. Welcome back. Okay, Jory, we should probably talk about some industry-specific queries. And during the break, I was kind of thinking a little bit about this and we're talking a bit about organic real estate shrinking, but mm -hmm. in some respects, there's arguments to be made that the organic real estate has disappeared completely in some verticals. So a really good example of this is within industries like hospitality. Instead of previously where you would go about trying to book flights, you would maybe search for like cheap flights to Boston, whatever, right? And you would get a list of different sites where you could go and 
create bookings, Google's been playing around with actually inserting in the ability to book flights directly from within the search results, therefore never needing to actually click through and visit a page, basically. The same thing is happening with their new Google Jobs. They're pulling in information from web pages that exist with job listings and actually being able to fulfill the need of the searcher without them ever leaving Google. That's a pretty scary thing for for content producers in particular. Yeah, it's something I don't really think about until I'm using (laughs) Google for that purpose. Like the other day, this horse is on a course for the Bahamas, (laughs) and I was booking a trip for this summer, and it seems like this is really taking over mobile search results. Yeah, uh, mobile in particular. I think the... The trend that Google is trying to catch on to is that people in general on mobile search are less tolerant to slow load times. So you've got things like if you're going through to web pages where they're actually quite slow to load or require a number of clicks, maybe even visit an app, like what Google wants to do is immediately deliver value and good search experience. And they're trying to do that by reducing the number of clicks. Now, there's there's a lot of arguments that can be made against this around the having a single source of information, a centralized entity controlling a lot of all of the information and basically purchasing power, which is pretty dangerous. And then I'm sure it's a matter of time before Google start to heavily monetize this piece as well, which means right. a lot of that organic traffic those sites were previously getting, they know they now no longer get it. And to add further salt to the wound, they have to pay to get it back. Yeah. So do you see this increasing as a trend or are we really at the, the peak of diversification of the results? I think this is just the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're going to see a whole heap of change. More than anything, in fact, in the past 12 months, I've seen that probably the most dramatic diversification of search results. And one thing in particular that I'm seeing fueling the, the most drastic change mm-hmm. is the shift to voice. And this is, again, where we talk about organic real estate shrinking, right? It's it's, it's one thing saying, okay, well, you know, no longer is there just 10 10 links or no longer are the same results page showing for people searching regardless of their location or no longer are Google just delivering a click to a web page, but they're giving the results directly in the search results. In all of those situations, there's choice. But what can happen and what we're starting to see in the early stages with voice, if anyone has like Google Home or Amazon uh, Echo, what you're then getting, or Siri as well, is a single result. So you'd be like, okay, like Alexa, tell me a good recipe for a green curry. And you will be delivered the result that Amazon Alexa or Google Home or Siri determines to be best fitting to there. That's one result. Maybe you can ask for a new one if it doesn't suffice, but the reality is not only is it like shrinking, but your your choice has now been removed as a searcher. And that is a very daunting thing for a lot of people producing content, which ultimately makes these platforms, these search voice platforms, what they what they are, right? Right. So when you say voice, you mean voice search platform specifically. Exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. And I and I think that 
a lot of the stuff that uh, Google in particular have been doing around shrinking the search results page or diversifying them is ultimately testing out search behavior and search patterns so that when we eventually move to a maybe 100% voice search world, which I think certainly the way that we interface with search is going to dramatically change over the next 10, 15 years, whether that's completely voice, whether there's an element of like AR, VR involved in all of that, but things are going to change a lot. And Google's trying to test out how people react to those different changes. One thing I would say is like, we are going to have a whole episode where we deep dive into this and we can kind of really dig into this in much more detail. But one thing I will say is like voice is coming <laughs> and people are going to need to be prepared for it. The bots are coming, voice is coming. <laughs> They're coming, coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so then it means that it might sound grim, but it's not actually as grim as we might be thinking. Not necessarily, yeah. Okay, so content creators rejoice, (laughs) Um, So unfortunately, that's all the time we really have for today. So if you like this lesson, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends or coworkers about us. You can also follow us on Twitter at HubSpot Academy and send us all of your burning SEO-related questions. I'm Jory Monroe, and thank you, Matt, for all your horses, courses, SEO, and beyond. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, Really excited for the season, and thank you for listening, everyone. If you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step in growing your career. But I have really good news. You can go even further for free. HubSpot Academy is a worldwide leader in marketing and sales education, and they offer free classes on topics like social media, SEO, content marketing, and more. There's no catch, just expert advice that can take your career to the next level. Go to HubSpot.com skillup to get started today and build your business better.